Rogue Preparedness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. um, If at any time you ever have any questions or want to reach out to me for any reason, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I am on Patreon if you want to support there. Uh, A website, YouTube. um, Just search Rogue Preparedness and I'll come up pretty much anywhere. Um, So yeah, feel free to reach out to me there. Ask questions. Talk about preparedness, life, whatever. Um, okay, so today we have uh, a guest. I'm really excited about this topic and what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, but first, I want to introduce our guest. This is Steve from Allegiant. And please, Steve, uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, your company and what you do and all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, hi, everyone. This is Steve with Allegiant. I am based out of Southern California, but uh, with this company, uh, it deals primarily with training work, and there's going to be some courses that I'll be developing throughout the year. But one of the primary ones that I'm dealing with right now deals with situational awareness and how to identify pre-threat indicators. So the idea is to teach people and to take my background from the military uh, and security work that I do, and it's all formulated in a course that I can give basically to anyone. It's not industry-specific. Uh, it can be taught to military or law enforcement, but uh, a lot of this stuff is geared for a civilian sector, for a corporate setting, uh, or anyone who's just interested in learning how to become more situationally aware. So that's what I do, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Fantastic. Is this just going to be, is your course just going to be for like in person, or is it going to be online? So right now it's just in person. Uh, I am pretty behind the curve when it comes to the tech stuff, but I would like to be it online. So if I can figure out a good platform to do that, I can, um, which also helps break it up. So it's it's a four-hour course, so it's not uh, short, but uh, if I can do online webinars or an hour chunk at each time, um, that I think will help a lot of people too, especially since I'm based mainly here out in Southern California. So anyone could really uh, tap into that. But once I get that set up, that is something I'm looking into. Awesome. Well, uh, everyone should go. You're on Instagram, right? Yes. Uh, you can just look up Allegiant CA cool. for Allegiant California. Well, definitely go check out his Instagram and um, just keep up to date on all that. But if you are in the Southern California area, I, you know, I think that the, I think learning this kind of stuff in person is really important. You know, you can learn a lot of this stuff online, but there's a lot of little kind of details and things that could really be solidified in person, too. But could, could you... Now, there's way too much to talk about in a podcast, but I would like to talk about a few kind of uh, infor- bits of actionable tips and and information that our our listeners can take and you know maybe take into action right now um for instance like what would be some pre-threat like identifying threats like how could how can people even do that yeah so there's um a main concept that really plays into how to identify behavior in any particular setting. And one of the things that comes up um, with this course too, that kind of adds to the validity of it is the fact that this is universal, uh, which is really difficult for a lot of things to say, just because we have so many differences with culture, with people, with language, with 
um, our norms, the way we behave socially. Um, there's everything that goes into what kind of creates our way of living. And so if we go to another country, all of a sudden everything's different. And how do you start spotting indicators when everyone does things in a different way? So the idea about this is you're looking for the universal human behaviors. So one of the things that I teach that goes into um, identifying behaviors is you have to look at the context of where you're at. So with that, there's this thing called baselines and anomalies. And essentially what that is, is any situation or context that you're in, whether you're just stepping out to go for a run, if you're going on a trip, if you're leaving the country, uh, ultimately you need to establish whatever the baseline is for the areas that you go. Um, and once you're there and you've kind of established what the norms are, how people interact, what kind of people are there, the size of the population, I mean, whatever it is, we're pretty good at that. You don't have to teach, teach someone really how to be human to kind of observe that, but really actually take a conscious effort to take that in and see what's normal. Um, and an anomaly is anything that deviates from the baseline. Um, so I'll give you kind of a, a cheesy example here. Let's say I think most people are pretty familiar with uh, walking into like a coffee shop, right? Uh, let's say you walk into your local coffee shop and, uh, you know, you kind of know what the norm is. You've been there multiple times. You don't have to go there right now to kind of figure this out. But, you know, people are going to be sitting there, going to be on their phones, they're going to be on their computers, might be reading a book. It's going to be a little loud with blenders or things going on behind the counter. Uh, you know, they're wearing aprons, they're serving people. You kind of know the general flow. But if you walk in one day and all of a sudden there's nobody there and there's no one sitting there, there's no customers, there's no baristas, uh, that's an anomaly. Right? You might think, okay, is, is, did I walk in after hours? You know, is this the middle of the day? Is there any reason for there not to be people here? And so that's actually, uh, there's two types of anomalies here. And this one particularly is a deviation below the baseline. So basically something is taking away uh, from something that should be there. Right? And we instantly notice stuff like that. We go, okay, wow, uh, something's not here that should be here. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a pre-threat, but it's it's something that catches your attention and you need to start paying attention to, right? Because these are the indicators that lead to what's really going on. And as you start pulling on the thread, uh, this is how you start to identify things that could materialize into a threat. Um, so the second one is, let's say you walk in to the same coffee shop, right? And you kind of walk up to the counter and people are kind of doing their thing. Uh, and all of a sudden, the barista comes up in the back and is dressed like a clown. And you're like, wow, uh, okay, you know, it's, it's really going to throw you off. Mm -hmm. So what that is is that's something that's added to the baseline of the normal behavior for that venue. Um, again, not necessarily a threat, but something added to the baseline that should not be there. Um, so I know it's, it's a super cheesy example, but the idea is just to give you a, a quick idea of, you know, establishing a baseline of an area uh, and and starting to look for the anomalies above or below your baseline, right? So now you take that concept and that's really the vessel for which you're going to be looking for pre-threat indicators when you go into situations. Um, so you take that same concept and go anywhere else and now what you're doing is establishing what the norm is for an area and you start looking for things that come into play that aren't necessarily part of that setting or you look for things 
that uh, that aren't happening or taking place um, that are below your baseline. And ultimately, that's your guideline to have a kind of universal tool to go in and uh, start to look for pre-threat indicators. Now, we can go into specifics and things like that, but ultimately, um, I think that's probably the best concept. Right. So you're looking for that anomaly. Now, when people, let's say that clown does come in, right? Um, now people have the, oh, that that's weird. I've never seen that before. And then they can either go one or two ways. They can go into the denial phase. Uh, well, this is just normal, whatever. Who cares, right? Uh, they're just playing a joke, right? Who cares? They're, they're trying to make up some excuse for this anomaly, right? So they can make up the excuse and they can deny that they're, or they straight up deny that anything's happening, such as, you know, maybe they, in the far distance, they hear a gunshot, but they deny it's a gunshot. They're like, oh no, it's just a car backfire or something, right? So right. Have, yeah. we have the deniers. And then we have the people who see this clown and they're like, you know what? I'm going to do a 360 around the room real quick and just uh, look around, just, just you know, real casual like, you know, just kind of look around, see what else I can see. Right. Uh, or yeah. that person that's heard the gunshot and said, what was that? You know, and not denying it, but they're taking note of it and saying, I heard that. Um, I'm going to listen to see if I can hear anything more or, you know, maybe I need to take action and get out of this place right now or whatever the case may be. Right. So um, how how would you suggest that people get out of that denial phase? Because we're always so comfortable in our routines and just every day and whatever. So even though we see that anomaly, we really want to just go about our day as normal, right? We don't want anything to be bad. So how how would you suggest that people kind of try to get out of that denial phase and move past it? But, you know, you don't have to be paranoid or crazy about it, but just kind of move past it to acknowledge it, figure out if it's really a threat, and then go from there. Yeah, no, you're exactly right on that. Uh, denial is a, a very human thing. And regardless of how much training you have, uh, our brains will always try to push for that because, uh, you know, our primitive brain always tries to make order from chaos and always yeah. tries to make sense of things. Um, and ultimately what's happening is you're stepping into a limbic system response um, when something happens and starts to flag your internal indicators of fear or whatever it is, it says, hey, something's off, and, it, and you start to go into that fight-or-flight mode, the, the rational brain, uh, your forebrain, really starts to pull you out of it and says, no, no, it's okay, it's just this, or, you know, uh, oh, maybe that's just fireworks. And it's like, you know, well, it's 10 o'clock on a weekday, and it's not the 4th of July. Is it fireworks, right, or, or is this the next shooter, you know, and... Uh, we, you know, we joke about it, but it's things like that, that, you know, that's the brain going into denial. Um, but you're absolutely right on that. Denial is what pulls us out of our instinctive mode to act. Um, now every contact on every context is going to dictate what kind of action is necessary, but in order to kind of get through denial is starting to become familiar, um, with the threats that, actually uh, come against us. And uh, it doesn't mean everyone needs to start preparing for an active shooter or things like this. Though it'd be good, it's just, you know, we got to be realistic and say that the majority of the population is just not going to take the time. But the, the best thing they can do is at least be realistic and not, not deny it before we even get there. 
you know, on a lot of these um, gun laws and things like this are these quick actions to kind of keep us out of that limbic system response when we really need to step into it. So a lot of your, you know, first responders, your military, you know, groups like us that are kind of just in the civilian sector but deal with preparedness, um, we've kind of already taken that first step past denial that said, no, I'm not going to wait for something to happen before I start figuring out what I need to do in these situations. I'm going to start learning about this and start reading about it. And all of that stuff is giving you what we call a file folder um, for action, you know, and you don't know, you can't really prepare for every situation, but at least you can prepare yourself to start to think, to start to look around, to take a breath, uh, to start to assess the situation. All right, so um, on denial, I'll give you a good case study of this. Uh, I don't know if you or maybe your listeners have heard of the bystander effect, um, but that comes from a case back on March 13, 1964, out of New York. And there was a guy named Winston Mosley who had it out to kill someone. And his motive was simply to kill a woman because they were easier and didn't fight back, right? He was just a depraved individual looking out for a victim. And he followed this girl named Kitty Genovese, uh, who got off work from a bar probably about like 3 a.m. He followed her home. Uh, and as she was walking up to her door, you know, he, he followed her and he kind of hid his face with like a, a wide brimmed hat, um, but had walked up and stabbed her twice in the back. So she started screaming for help. And uh, <clears throat> uh, no one came. Um, but there were a handful of witnesses. So uh, a lot of reports are saying there were, I think, up to 38 witnesses who saw this attack and did nothing. Um, and he left. So he, he had stabbed her, then he left for 10 minutes, and she had crawled her way around to kind of the backside of her apartment complex. He came back after 10 minutes, was looking for her, uh, ended up finding her, and unfortunately, by the time he did, she was in a back secluded area where no one could really see anything, um, and he ended up killing her. Now, the reason why this case was very interesting when it comes to the whole concept of denial is you have 38 witnesses who heard it or saw it in some form or fashion and did nothing. I think it was the 38th witness who called a friend or called someone and said, hey, uh, something's going on. What should I do? And ended up calling the police. <clears throat> now, at the time, I think this is, yeah, I think this is the case where our whole database of 911 came out of was for an instant immediate access to uh, law enforcement. But ultimately what you have is you have basically 37 people who, who were a witness to a murder and did absolutely nothing. And, the, and, you know, she was screaming for help. But this is the case uh, of where the term bystander effect comes from, uh, which is which is really a form of denial. It's a it's crazy that the, the more social you create an instance, how everyone can kind of buy into that thinking. You know, it just takes one person. Uh, and when we all have it a little bit, we all kind of start standing around. And uh, yeah, I've seen it personally. I was on a run a couple months ago um, through, a, through a city out here, and there was a car accident. And as I came up to it, um, I started thinking the same thing. I was like, all right, there's maybe 50-some-odd people standing around at the busy intersection. I'm just going to walk past and take a look. And as I walked past the car, the driver was slumped over in his seat. And I kind of took a breath and started looking around and looked at everyone who's just watching this person die in this car. Um, you know, so I, I ran over there and, and started checking him out. And he had agonal breathing. And uh, I think he had gone into like a diabetic coma and lost, lost 
control of his vehicle. So there really wasn't much I could do for him, uh, but I at least was able to get somebody on the phone, start calling it in, uh, and started chest compressions. And then about that time, he stopped breathing is when the ambulances showed up. But everyone just sat around there and watched him. So this is a, you know, denial is a real thing. People just really don't know what to do. Um, and there's something you had touched on too with that, that part of the reason why we do that or start to explain things away is, you know, it's the, it's fear. We don't know what to do. We don't want to deal with it. So it's a natural way for our mind to kind of protect itself and to start running from these things. Um, especially with, um, like that concept, you said of paranoia, uh, paranoia is really just, you have zero file folder for what's going on. You don't really know how to respond. So you're just going to avoid it because it hurts to think about it. You know, and, and it's that kind of denial, that state of denial that's really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much going on. There's the denial. There's somebody else will take care of it. There's I don't know what to do. There's there's just so much going on. And I think at the base level, you know, we're humans. And if we see another human in distress, we should at very least call 911, right? I mean, even if like all those, you know, 37, 38 people that you're talking about in the first case study, even if all of them called 911 or, or <clears throat> you know, tried to reach for help or, or you know, get help in some way, who cares? That's great. That's 37, 38 people that, that have reached out to help this woman or, you know, or who've actually gone to the woman to, to help her, you know, get to safety or whatever. And I understand that um, not everyone is willing or able or has the skills or um, ability to physically go up and help people. I get that, you know, but uh, there's just so much else that people can do. They, you know, I mean, we all have phones in our pockets, <laughs> you know, we can yeah. pick up the phone yeah. and call 911, flood 911 at least, you know, that's the least that people can do. What we don't want to do with our phone is pull it out and start recording <laughs> or taking pictures yeah. or things <laughs> that really are not helpful, right? And in this this age of social media, oh man, we've been inundated with uh, people just pulling out their phones and just recording a, uh, you know, a bad situation going on or whatever. And it's like, you know, really like you're, you're literally standing feet from this situation and you're just recording and like, why, why are you doing yeah. this? And so, yeah, it's, um, it's, we're so fascinated with that stuff. And that's, um, that's a big one too. I mean, if there's any one thing you can immediately start doing, uh, it's the phones. It's anytime you're in public, is start controlling when you access it, you know, and you don't really have to disrupt your daily life too much to do that. If you're moving or you're going through transitional spaces, um, don't be on your phone. Anytime you're out and about, you know, wait till you're, you sit down you're in, you've assessed the environment, you've figured out the baseline. And then if you need to jump on your phone, you know, go for it. But the least you can do is at least just, just start paying attention to the people who are coming in and out of your space. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And it's easy. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I, I've just seen video after video after video of, of people who are just in their phones and, um, they're distracted by their phones. You know, when, when people like to think that they can multitask when they're on their phone, that they can have situational awareness while on their phone. Unfortunately, that's just not the case. Um, especially when you're really deep into your phone, reading something, your, your attention really is all on that 
whatever is happening. And so, you know, there's only so much that we can really pay attention to. So like you're saying, you know, you know, staying off your phone, that's a real big one. Because in this day and age, like pretty much all the videos I've been seeing lately of people being attacked, it's because they were on their phone, distracted from something. It doesn't right. even have to be, you know, maybe they're just looking up directions, you know? I mean, but that's also, you know, you're, you look lost. You kind of look like a little bit of a target. You know, you're, you don't know what's going on kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's <laughs> the cell phone. I love cell phones, but they can be really dangerous too <laughs> so yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. a big one yeah. um now so what other types of um outside so let's say we've assessed situations and we have that situational awareness what like especially in california where um firearms are pretty restricted and specifically uh, you know, carry laws and, you know, what you can and cannot have. I, th I think the, the gun laws in California are pretty restrictive. So outside, but you do teach, uh, firearms, right? You're a firearm instructor. Yeah. So I'm a NRA certified instructor in RSO and I do some training through work. I work for a security company and we do executive protection. Um, and I'll go out to the range with my guys and, uh, we just run through basic stuff. I want to make sure guys who do have their CCWs, um, are up to par, you know, we're using it for the industry. So we are doing training as far as holstering and drawing and things like that, that is pretty hard to find ranges out here that allow you to do that because, yeah. uh, it's just not common. Um, but there are ways around it, you know, it, it persists out here. Um, there are counties that are good for, getting your CCW, other counties are not. Um, so you just basically, it comes down to where you live, not really your qualification. Um, but th there's ways, you know, I mean, we're, we're not as bad as some other states, but uh, to most states it is, it is still pretty bad here, but um, I kind of, I grew up with it. So, you know, I kind of know all the ins and outs and the gray areas and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, firearms, we do firearms. Um, one of the things that another course that I want to start getting going to uh, with my NRA cert as well is the Arizona CCW, um, which you can get as a non-Arizona resident, which is good for 32 states now. Um, so things like that that, you know, if people are interested in are really cheap, easy ways to go about, you know, starting to prepare for this. Now, firearms aren't for everyone, uh, and it is a lot of time. It's money. It's training. It's learning how to manage something. Um, same thing with self-defense, um, you know, and not everyone really has the time, energy, or desire to do that, and that's fine, um, but, you know, that's where the situational awareness stuff comes in is, you know, you can arm yourself with a mindset. Somebody doesn't want to invest in martial arts or can't, or, you know, maybe a disability is preventing them from that, or maybe... Um, you know, they, they can't get a firearm because of restrictions in the area, or maybe they just don't want to, you know, um, is situational awareness, like kind of the only, uh, recourse that they have or, or how else can, can people, uh, defend themselves along with situational awareness, uh, without, you know, any type of martial arts or firearms or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so with that, I mean, the, the more the merrier, you know, um, so I'll give you a good, good analogy. Uh, I think it's Simon Sinek and I pronounce his name. He has a good, uh, like Ted talk or, 
uh, YouTube video where he talks about a bunch of different concepts of things. One of the things he mentions is, let's say you are out in Africa and you're looking at um, a herd of like like gazelles or any kind of zebra or some kind of um, prey animal. Uh, when they're all grazing together and one hears something, it, you know, it sticks its head up from the ground and starts looking around, right? Kind of maybe it heard a twig snap. It's like, uh-oh, you know, maybe there's a lion. Uh, and it looks up and it starts looking around. Well, what that ends up doing is all the others see it look and they all start to look, right? And the initial one that stuck its head up and, and caught the warning signal started looking and alerted the others isn't necessarily the one that saw the lion, but it might have alerted one of the other in the pack that saw it. And then that one starts to run. And so then they all start to run because everyone saw that other one run. So the idea there is you don't necessarily have to be the one to see the threat, but the fact is in a group, that is a good survival method, right? So whatever the situation is, if you're just not in the firearms or, or self-defense, you don't have the time, Again, like you said, maybe it's a disability. The idea is well, you surround yourself with people who are also on the same page and you surround yourself with people who have the same mindset. And though you may not have all the answers, you start to create a force multiplier and the people you're around, the bigger groups you're in, uh, it's, it's, it's more pairs of eyes. It's more people to look at something. And, you know, you really see it when you look at first responders or military guys and, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I never really noticed it in myself, but people would uh, point it out to me, and now I use it as kind of a, a training piece. But when I was in the Marine Corps, I would come home, I'd bring buddies from the Marines with me, and we'd go out to eat somewhere, and, you know, we're picking the corner booth or a place that, you know, you can have your backs covered. And when one person looks across the room, all of us start looking across the room. You know, you feed off each other's energy like that, and there's a – there's a great feeling of safety in that. Hey, I don't have to look that way or, or check this whole area because I'm with two other people who are already looking that direction. So I'm going to, I'm going to look over here and it becomes such a natural organic way of just interacting with people that, you know, it, you don't put a lot of thought into it. Um, so it, it's just, we've kind of lost that awareness with the safety of our society and things like that is you don't think about it because you have cops to, to deal with threats, you know, or whatever it is, but just having, people around you they're all on the same page is a, is a great way to um, increase your safety I think it's really interesting what you just said about surrounding yourself with like-minded people and I think you know as long as everybody's kind of on that same page or at least you know semi on the same page that is such an asset to you know have that the group mentality because you know especially when you have a group that's trained as well you know I think a lot of preppers we're we have such the um like the the single mindset I don't, I don't know how else to explain it it's the yeah me myself right. and I <laughs> yeah yeah and uh I think you know, I've been I, I try to encourage people to really look outside of that lone wolf and really try to look into groups. And I think that people are starting to understand, you know, the benefits of it, because, you know, I mean, outside of that whole situational awareness and everything, like, let's say you're by yourself, you have to sleep eventually. So you're still at risk there. Right. So, you know, if you're like in a really high threat prone area, you know, and you have to be there for a while you know, having people around, I mean, even in the military, correct me if I'm wrong, but even in the military, you're rarely ever, if ever by yourself, right? 
Right. Right. Yeah. So why would we assume that it's a good thing for any human, you know, regardless of situation to to be by ourselves? I mean, we can't do everything. And it's, you know, there there really is safety in numbers. But if you can find those safety with, um, you know, the like minded people, even if it's, you know, your family, that's going to be huge because, like my husband and I, we have that understanding. And when we go out in public, we have kind of like what you were talking about, you know, you go out with your buddies and you have, you know, you're, you're looking around. Okay, well, he sees that. So I'm going to look over here kind of thing. And I was really, I was kind of smiling as you said that. I'm like, hey, we do that. Um, and so, you know, even if it's your, you know, just your your girlfriend or your husband or whoever, um, if we can try to get them on the same page of just, the little extra situational awareness with each other, it's going to make a, I think a world of difference. So that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Could you offer any other guidance outside of what we've talked about, about situational awareness, like your top three tips of situational awareness? Yeah. I mean, everyone's different and everyone's timeline is different, but uh, I think the, the biggest thing is understand the concept of baseline and anomaly um, to know, what is normal for a situation and, uh, you know, learn to start picking out deviations from your baseline. That's going to be, I think the first thing, um, first and foremost, when it comes to situational awareness is, uh, is that, um, when you start to see the anomalies, um, the second thing is, you know, now your brain's going into processing action. What, what do I need to do about this? Not, not necessarily a pre-threat, but it is an anomaly. Um, you know, you should step into that. Don't fall into denial, which is the second thing. Um, and in other words, don't ever explain anything away is, is how you stay out of denial is be honest with the situation. Hey, what is this? You know, is this a threat? Is this not? It's definitely an anomaly. This isn't normal for this situation. Uh, and it just start to investigate it. You know, um, a lot of times you'll find things aren't necessarily threats, but what you start learning is that when you start thinking this way, you just start noticing things about the environment you didn't notice before. Um, I think those are going to be the the first two things um, when it comes to situational awareness, which uh, there's this concept called left of bang. uh, And it comes from a book that uh, was started a whole Marine Corps program, uh, which is where a lot of situational awareness stuff comes from. And the idea is, you know, bang is that violent event, that threat um, that is now manifest and is, is very obvious. Um, the idea of staying left of bang is where all of the situational awareness comes in. Is trying to spot these pre-threat indicators, right? Pre-threat is that left side of bang. Once you go into the right side of bang, now you have that event, that shooter, that bombing, that fight, whatever it is. And, and now you're in defense mode, okay? Bang has already gone off. Right. And now you're really in the realm of martial arts, firearms and things like that, because you've identified the threat, you know what's going on and and now you have to act on it. Right. And now you're in the fight. Um, So I think when it comes to the situation awareness stuff, um, I'd like to give you like three. Those are going to be the biggest two things. Um, But a lot of uh, what it is is really just figuring out what the anomalies are, paying attention to them and trying to act as much as possible before you even get to that moment, that bang moment. Um, and if you can do that and you can stay out of denial, um, you're really going to keep yourself from having to even be in the fight 
Uh, it's not always possible to stay out of it. Um, but I mean, those are, those are going to be the, the, two that I can think of. I can think of a third, I'll let you know, but that's all I got at the moment. <laughs> no problem. Well, now, what what do you think of, like, the run-hide fight? Like, wh- what do you think of that? Like, is that, I mean, is that is it so um, cut and dry like that? Like, do you recommend that people run away unless, you know, they're forced to fight? Like, how? What what's your recommendation on all that? Yeah, so I know a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the stuff we're talking about tends to be kind of the buzzwords, but that's actually kind of a good thing, you know, because people are talking about it. Hey, I've heard that before. It's like, good. And it's starting to kind of sit in. Um, I have heard that concept of run, hide, fight. A lot of it is coming from our, our limbic system response of fight, flight, freeze. Right. You know, when that event does go off, now you're in the mode of, you know, run, hide, fight kind of thing. And, and you look at it in any order. But uh, I have heard it explained in the order of uh, fight, run, hide, because the idea is once that event goes off you're in the fight you know there's if if you've got time great let's see if you can get out of there but you should start to practice going right into fight mode because you don't know how much time you're going to have you know if you start to to prepare mentally and just go okay if something happens i'm going to start looking for a way out or this and that well if you've got time great but, uh, you know, try to prepare for worst case scenario first. So I would say try to put yourself in the mindset of the fight's on, you know, and I'm in it and, and I'm taking on whatever this is. Um, because in order to elevate yourself to that level, if you start at these other levels, you're going to be behind the curve. Um, so it's, it's still a great analogy. Um, but I would say start with the fight. Um, and then if you've got time, assess the situation, you don't have to be in the fight then you can deal with run and then you can find yourself a spot to bed down to hide. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a great, great analogy. That's a fascinating way to look at it. I've actually never heard anyone say that. And I love that. I love that you want to put yourself in the immediate mindset of you may have to fight because when people put themselves in the mindset of run, they're putting themselves in the mindset of, getting out running i mean exactly that you know getting away from the bad situation so they're not they're not in the mindset of fight and if they're uh engaged in that fight all of a sudden that's going to be a real jolt to them because they're already in that flight mode and i just love that you said just get in the mindset and if you can you know run that's great but keep in that mindset because if you're already near a situation where something's going down like you said, you're already in the fight. I love that. That's really great advice. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that plays into that is there's a quote by General Mattis, and he said, <clears throat> he's talking about the war and, you know, people who are kind of denying it, like, well, you know, we declare it's over and it's vic- we had victory and that kind of dem- denial mindset that, you know, that, that's not how warfare works. And he said, you know, no, no war is over until the enemy says it's over. We may think it over, we may declare it over, but in fact, the enemy gets the vote, right? And you have to remember that constantly. The enemy gets a vote. You might not want to deal with that shooter, not, not want to deal with that fight, that argument, whatever it is. You have to realize that there's two people involved at minimum in this situation. And if that person wants to fight, you're in the fight. It doesn't matter what your thoughts are, if you're a pacifist or things like that. The thing is, at the end of the day, if that person wants to fight, you're in the fight. And so it's better to 
mentally prepare yourself that this is a reality. And if these situations are going to come, you know, start to formulate a plan. I know people don't like thinking about it, but again, go back to the group mentality. Maybe you don't have to put all of your effort and energy, but surround yourself with people who are on the same page of, Hey, if we have this situation in my setting, maybe I'm a teacher, you know, and maybe I'm in charge of a classroom of kids. Like, no, I don't want to fight. I don't want to deal with any threats that might come to this classroom, but I'm just going to prepare myself mentally that if I get any warning signs, I'm locking this door and I'm pulling the shades and we're going to bed down, whatever it is, you know, but we're, we're going to be in this and we're going to, you know, be realistic about what's out there. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, nobody really wants to be, you know, presented with an attack or, you know, a threat or a dangerous situation, right? You know, we just want to go on our better days. But um, like you said, it's really important to plan that out. So in saying that, would you recommend that people um, go through like uh, the mental uh, games, I guess, like um, I'm forgetting the term right now, <laughs> um, the mental preparation, um, like, I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think any kind of situational awareness training is, is probably the best step, you know, because it, it caters to such a broader audience. You know, not everyone is that protector. Um, we all have that instinct in us. And, uh, you know, in the kind of in the safe society that we live in, relatively speaking, as far as the United States compared to the rest of the world, um, you know, we kind of outsource that behavior, um, that protector nature. Um, the first responders that are out there, the, the cops, the military, um, all that, you know, that, that really take the fight back to the enemy. We don't really think about that because we have someone else to do it. And so because of that, we've kind of we've become weak, um, not only in our, our skills, but also our thinking. You know, we, we just are way more susceptible to denial. Um, but whatever situation you're coming from, you know, starting to study situational awareness, hey, how can I be more observant about things? Um, it does a lot and it goes a lot farther for people. You know, they, they don't have the time to invest in protection in firearms in any kind of defensive weapons or tactics, things like that. But, you know, we all think we're all humans. So, uh, to, to build up just the masses of people who are able to go in and study this kind of stuff, there's so much books and literature on it that you you can kind of take it at your own time. And, um, one thing I would caution against, though, is if all you're really doing is kind of sitting and going scenario over scenario, um, that's fine. But um, <clears throat> most people don't really think in those terms. And that can actually lead to a lot of paranoia because uh, we start getting into these like, well, what if, what if? And all of a sudden we kind of scare ourselves out of any action because we, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're pretty pessimistic in our thinking um, when it comes to fear and things like that. We kind of let that get the better of us. So. You know, don't get caught in the trap of becoming paranoid of, well, I have to figure out every scenario. Mm-hmm. It's not about figuring out every scenario. You know, it's really about going back to baseline and anomaly. Just, well, what what is the situation that you're in? What's normal for that? Start looking for the anomalies. You know, you don't need to pay attention to all the behavior. Not everything means something, you know. Um, it's the anomalies that you need to focus on. And that's where you start to distinguish between real fear and just perceived fear. And uh, a good book on that is Gavin Becker's The Gift of Fear. Um, and, and that right there is just those little things start to help you develop. Okay, what, what should I be paying attention to? I don't want to be paranoid. I don't want to be walking around looking over my shoulder all the time. Right? And you don't. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just it's learning how to distinguish between real fear, perceived fear, 
um, and just building up that mindset. Fantastic. I think that uh, that's a good closing point. I really, really, really appreciate all your insight. Um, and if anyone wants to find Steve in the Southern uh, California area, you can go to Allegiant. Uh, on uh, Instagram, it's Allegiant underscore CA, right? Yeah, I, I forgot what it was for Instagram or Facebook, but Allegiant CA. Um, or you can go to AllegiantCA.com. Uh, there's some more info on there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yes, my pleasure. Um, everyone, uh, go uh, check out Steve's website and Instagram. And uh, if you have any questions about situational awareness or anything, please uh, don't hesitate to ask him. Um, and uh, if you have any questions about anything else, <laughs> feel free to ask me or Steve or anyone, really. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Conquer tomorrow by preparing today. I will see you all later. Bye.